the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the season opening episode part two. I'm Stucky. And joining me once again are Colin Wilson and our own college football insider, Brett McMurphy. I'm assuming you listened to part one. We're going to go even deeper, a little deeper, kind of kept it broad. And we have uh, our conference. We have 11 conference preview episodes coming up. And then we'll have actually a, you know, our recap episode as well included in there. And it'll be week zero. We have a lot to get to, and today, let's just keep it rolling. Colin, I'm going to start start with you here, just to give me your first initial thoughts. 30 coaching changes, so there's 30 new head coaches. Some of them like took over in the bowl last year, but there's 30 new head coaches after the fact that we saw the legend, Bill Clark, have to step down due to back issues. You could argue the top five higher, head coaching higher the past 20 years in college football, given what he did taking that program from the restart to all the success they've had. Um, and he was in against the spread monster. They've had coordinators, or offense coordinators taking over. They have coordinators that have been there for a while, some coaching stability. TBD on how that impacts um, the UAV defense, which has finished in the top 20, I think, in five straight years uh, statistically. A two-part question. Thoughts on your boy, Bill Clark, and what stands out as far as the, the most important and most underrated coaching head coaching changes going into the season. Well, yeah. Well, first off, I would like to give a moment of silence for Bill Clark. Cashed our 20 to one UAB ticket to win uh, conference USA a couple of years ago. And I think really when people say the coordinators got, they've been there forever. They know it. Listen up Clemson fans. You can't replicate what Bill Clark does because he's the one that pointed out that middle Tennessee state, or Middle Tennessee, whatever they're being called these days, they were lined up incorrectly that they needed to be called for a flag. There was a 12th man on the field. And because of that penalty that happened on a fourth down, UAB won the conference championship. Bill Clark's attention to detail was better than anybody, and he covered the spread better than anybody since UAB was resurrected from the dead. So pour one out for him. But if we're going to talk about coaching hires that you know I absolutely love and, and coaching hires that I think they're you know, maybe a little bit overrated. I mean, I love Sonny Dice at TCU. I think they needed a change a long time ago in front of Gary Patterson. Uh, the players weren't responding. He wasn't connecting. Uh, the defense had completely given up. They fell in the bottom 10 and finishing drive success rate, everything from Havoc, the 425 that he was running. Nothing was going right there. It was time for a change. Yeah, teams seem to have cracked that, cracked the Patterson defense recently. Right. And it seems like things have gotten stale. They needed uh, a change there. I, I agree. I think it was. I think it was time. Yeah, yeah. So Sonny Dykes, I think, was a, a fantastic hire there. And then you know, once we get past that, if there's if there's one that I think was possibly completely overrated, 
there is still a coach out there that I, I will not name, but I think he's got his hands full at the University of Florida. Goodness gracious, Billy Napier. Scared money don't make money, you know? A little bit in over his head. We'll see what he can pull off. I am not a fan of the Gators going into this season. How much money are you going to have on Utah week one against Florida? Uh, there's already a few dimes. There may be more. It depends on where the number goes. You obviously have you know, the highlights of Brian Kelly going to LSU, Cristobal going to Miami, but there's 30 overall. Any that you really think uh, are home runs or any that are maybe underrated or overrated hires that you want to talk about? A number of reporters, we kind of have an inside joke. We will never call anybody a home run hire anymore because literally everyone said Scott Frost was a home run hire and he's he's on his uh, deathbed trying to trying to get to bowl games so he doesn't get fired. Colin talked about Sonny Dykes. I love that. I love what he's going to do there. I like Joe Moorhead at Akron. He's been a power five head coach. He's been an offensive coordinator at Oregon. Um, he steps down to the Mac. I think he'll do really well there. Also, Jay Norvell, switching teams within the same conference. That happens a lot in the SEC, usually not anywhere else. He goes from Nevada to Colorado State. I think they're, they're undervalued. You mentioned Brian Kelly. Um, you know, go ahead and, and uh, rack it or whatever you want to do. I think Brian Kelly will win a national title at LSU. I think he's that good of a coach. Uh, the narrative was, oh, he's a bad guy. Everybody doesn't like him. It doesn't matter. The guy can coach. You, we saw what happened in Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl without Brian Kelly. They don't lose that game if Brian Kelly's the coach. Right. Um, with the talent he will have in LSU, um, they will turn that program around quicker than he can change his accent. And those are the guys I like. And I really, I, I'm really fascinated to see what Dan Lanning does at Oregon. Great young coach, first time head coach. That's going to be tough. Um, but he was incredible at Georgia. Obviously, had a lot of talent. So those are some of the guys that that I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Interesting that he went with Tosh Lapoy as his defensive coordinator there at Oregon because that is the guy that Saban was trying to give away for pennies on the dollar. So we'll see how that works out for the defense there. I didn't know we were allowed to mention Marcus Freeman, I think, because he was mentioned as the coach before they played the bowl game. It's not that Cincinnati went down at all after Marcus Freeman left. And I'm not sure Notre Dame's defense was that much improved with Marcus Freeman there last year after the Mike Elko years. So, you know, if you want to queue up year two of Colin Bagging against Notre Dame, I'm just not sold on Marcus Freeman, but forever I have not been sold on Tommy Reese's offense, which is the most conservative in the nation. Yeah, I disagree with you on Freeman from uh, just a schematic point of view, but your your points are well taken. Brad, I completely agree with you. The coach that I had circled, uh, Jerry Kill, I had circled for New Mexico State, one of the toughest jobs in the country, but I think that they needed a coach like him to make them a little more competitive or bring in some discipline and some structure. I don't know how many wins it will translate to, uh, but I, I agree with Moorhead. The MAC is where you can see a coaching change have a dramatic impact in one year to the next. We've seen it at Central Michigan recently when they won the conference. The transfers that Akron bought in, they're going to have a real offense now. So I think Moorhead, that was the first one that I circled. By the way, you mentioned Norvell. The Mountain, what is going on in the Mountain West? If you look, the Mountain West, I cannot wait to do that episode. I mean, the look at the the quarterbacks are like the – Hawaii's quarterback, the, the Washington State transfer, the right. Wyoming quarterback transferred to Utah State, the Utah State quarterback transferred to Wyoming, um, New Mexico is a Kansas quarterback, Colorado State is Nevada, like a Nevada quarterback, San Diego State is Braxton Burmeister, he's still around, I think his 10th year, 
Remember losing money. Yeah, he's gone from West Coast to East Coast, back to the West Coast. Kid's been everywhere. He was he was the backup to Justin Herbert. He got hurt. Burmeister yeah. came in. I, I remember losing money on him. He's a San Diego State quarterback, an absolute mess. UNLV has a Tennessee transfer. It's hilarious in the Mountain West. And Nevada may, might be in the worst situation because they're going through a scheme change on both sides of the ball with Ken Wilson coming in there. So and lost. Yeah. everything uh, you know you lose a quarterback to the nfl all the receivers norvell took the staff and so many players to colorado state just a, a completely depleted team outside of uh dom peterson on the defense brad any thoughts on crystal ball to miami you love it wait and see no, i do i mean I, pick, I picked him and you look at the coaches he's brought on board you know new coordinators josh gaddis kevin Steele, uh also charlie strong uh you know he's a position coach Cristobal, I reported last week, they've gotten rid of the turnover chain. We're just focused on other stuff, fundamentals, toughness, finish. This, this is going to be a team about substance. It's not going to be flash and dash. was an offensive line coach at Alabama before he went to Oregon. This is going to be a tough physical team. And I think in the ACC, that's something that can have success. Pat Narduzzi showed that at Pitt. I think Cristobal, that attitude comes into Miami. They've always had a lot of talent. Now maybe they have a little bit better work ethic, and that's why that's why I'm so high on them. I believe you're not high on Cristobal for maybe some of his game management decisions in the past, but as far as getting his guys ready to go, Miami is jacked up. And he told me, you know, I've talked to him a number of times in the past few months, he is jacked up about this season. He's very confident in his offensive line. And uh, Tyler Van Dyke, one of the better, I think, underrated quarterbacks in the country for the Hurricanes. Just take a fucking knee, Cristobal. I'm still mad about that game in 2018. Number of times Josh Gaddis was mentioned at Michigan Media Days today, zero times. He will not be missed in Ann Arbor whatsoever. I don't know if this will translate to wins or not. I like to hire McIntyre at FIU. He's a turnaround artist. I think he'll, you know, he's gotten some kids who wanted to come back to Miami down there. Their roster is, uh, <laughs> it's a joke. I was trying to power rate them. Uh, <laughs> they do have a really easy schedule. They play like Bryant at home, UConn at home, they're, they're, and their win total is still three. Their whole team is just like – everyone left the team. They have a Duke quarterback, Syracuse transfers, and then a ton of like non-FBS transfers. They're all going to start. <laughs> they're they're going to be bad. But I think, you know, in a couple of years, FIU will be better for that hire. If you want to end on something bad stuck, how bad is it that Clay Helton is pulling the triple out of Georgia Southern? What What is that going to be? It's very difficult to do. Uh, your whole team is recruited and has practiced and played one certain style. I mean, down to you don't play with a tight end, right? Your offensive line, you recruit a certain way. They also have different splits. You don't really have receivers that, that participate a lot. Now, Georgia Southern didn't have a pure, you know, Army option-based attack, but uh, they were triple op- you know spread his triple option it's a tough transition clay hilton also while brett swears nice guy and i'm sure he is hates covering spreads could be a rough year we've seen georgia tech we've seen georgia tech uh have trouble um making that transition uh another another team down in georgia that might struggle so i'll do two more coaching changes and i'll get your thoughts on Brad, I'll ask you somewhere for close to your heart and or maybe hate, I should say, Oklahoma, Venables, great OC hire, Dylan Gabriel. 
You're probably going to put up some monster numbers there. Um, any thoughts on the changes that have occurred at Oklahoma? And if you want to transition that or parlay that into USC as well, any thoughts there on what happened in the offseason? Uh, it's been just like you would expect. The fire hose is fully inserted uh, in my mouth here, and uh, we've been blowing and going. And so I'm not blowing and I'm not going, but here's the thing. Oklahoma loved Lincoln Riley. They loved him, loved him, loved him until the second they found out he was going to USC. And then suddenly there's, oh, they wait. hate him, by the way. I have fans and, and I have friends oh, in Norman that think he is the devil. My, my family, are, they're, they're big OU fans. My sister was the roughneck queen when she was at school at OU. She, she was on the back of the Sooner Schooner. And it's funny, then he left, suddenly he's this horrible coach and he never did enough. And they hung a treasure sign you know, on campus. I, I talked to OU fans, like, do you realize this happens at every, at all 130 other schools? It just happened, hasn't happened at Oklahoma in the past 80 years. Venables is a very, very good, if not the best, one of the best defensive coordinators. I don't know whether it's him or anyone else, a first time head coach at a power five school, that's going to be a transition, whether you like it or not. I think it's going to be hard for Oklahoma to live up to the standard that they had under Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley. I think Oklahoma is going to step back a little bit. doesn't mean they're going six and six. I don't think they're going to make the college football playoff. I don't think anybody in the Big 12 is going to make it. Eventually, Oklahoma will be successful. I just think this first year they could struggle. What Lincoln Riley's done at USC obviously has never been done before. More than half of his starting lineup will be transfers from other schools. And I kind of that, that might be old miss too, by the way. Yeah, but I kind of compare that to like an, an all-star lineup or something. Like when you're winning and things are going great, everybody's happy. And but then once there's some adversity, how does that impact the team? The, the team has not gone through two days together. They haven't been together for two or three years. They don't really know each other. Do they start pointing fingers? Uh, do they start blaming other people? Colin has you know had numerous conversations with me about that the struggles that he think Caleb Williams is going to have there, that Jordan Addison is not going to see as many balls that he saw at Pitt because that's not Caleb Williams' strength. How would that impact USC once they face some adversity? So I don't think either team is going to get to the playoff. Ultimately, Lincoln Riley will get USC into the college football playoff before Brent Venables get OU into the playoff. They're both going to struggle because I think the expectations for Lincoln Riley are you're going to get USC to the playoff immediately. That's not going to happen. I think OU's a couple of years away from getting back into the playoff with Venables. But again, it's a lesser degree of difficulty, if you will, for Venables and OU. So maybe he can get there this year or next year. I don't know. Maybe he's the 10th, the 9th or 10th odds. I, I haven't checked. But with Oklahoma, with Levy going there and Gabriel – and Gabriel had a monster year under Levy at UCF in 2019. I just don't know how good Oklahoma is going to be, but you got to assume Gabriel, if he stays healthy, is going to put up some monster numbers there. Clemson fans should listen to this, but uh, Brent Venables is a one of a kind. Nobody can match the energy that this guy has. People around Norman right now are just shocked that this he's coming in and he wants the tough. No one will say the word soft, but the, ring, the Lincoln Riley era in Norman was soft. Grinch wasn't getting it done on defense. They were essentially statues and everybody ran by him and they never won a college football playoff game. Brent Venables can make them tough and that, and he's installing not just new schemes on both sides of the ball, but a different culture. And that is going to take time, which is why 
Uh, the win total of nine is probably perfect on spot. I'd go under nine and a half for some of those that are out there. But Venables has also never coached a defense where his offensive coordinator is snapping the ball every 19 seconds. So is Jeff Lebby going to take his foot off the gas a little bit? I'm sure that Dylan Gabriel is going to be much more improved than he was, say, in 19, 20, and 21, because that first season that he had with Jeff Lebby, he was great. But just take a step back here. Dylan Gabriel still made interceptions. He still made really bad mistakes, and he still had a lot of turnover-worthy plays. Now, he had more big-time throws when Lebby was there. It was also his freshman season. So we'll see what's going to happen here. But uh, you know, I'm not going to have a meltdown when Dylan Gabriel throws an interception in the red zone because it's going to happen. That's just the kind of player he is. Not at the Adrian Martinez level, but that's just the kind of quarterback that he is. So I wouldn't expect too much out of this OU. It, it's a new culture. It's new schemes. And how is Venables going to call a defense with an offensive coordinator that's snapping balls, you know, is faster than anybody in FBS. So a lot of things to watch for there, Norman. When is Oklahoma going to get its secondary figured out? That's not like they don't get kids that are highly recruited. They they never translate. When's the last time Oklahoma had a defensive back taken in the first round of the NFL draft? That's a trivia question. I don't. Roy Williams twenty Roy years Williams. ago. Yeah. I mean, seriously, maybe in the second round too. Um, maybe the the past defense can improve because every year it's like these they just can't find corners and they get high they get highly recruited kids that just. I, I don't know. Good, good stuff on the coaching, head coaching changes, but there's also a lot more change than just the head coach is changing. That's with the coordinators. want to talk some impact coordinators, you know, either someone leaving or coming. I'm going to start with Jim Knowles going to Ohio State. Most obvious one. I think it's going to have the biggest impact. Now, if you look at Jim Knowles' history, he was, I think it was, he was a head coach in the Ivy League too, and a couple stops, defensive coordinator. His year one's were never great. Western Michigan, if you look, they dropped from like fifth. I mean, it was after the, the best year in, in school history. They didn't always improve year one. It's not easy to fix a defense. and But he has the talent here is the thing. And they're going from a guy who, Kerry Coombs, who had no business being a defensive coordinator at any team, yet alone Ohio State. He's, not a, he's a special teams coordinator at Cincinnati now. So you go from Kerry Coombs to Jim Knowles. And the talent is there on the defensive line. You have some experience in the back end. Um, brings a good defensive back with him as well from Stillwater. And I look at it similar to what, and this is what I think makes Ohio State a legit national title contender. You knew the offense wasn't going to be a problem, but their defense will now just have structure, organization, which is what they needed. They didn't have any of that under Coombs. Go back to 2018, Ohio State, defense disaster. Um, if you look at some of the advanced metrics, they were around uh, 45th in the country. Same place where they finished last year. Um, obviously, it's adjusted for schedule and all that. What did they, 2019, who did they hire as defensive coordinator? Jeff Halfley from the NFL. Comes in, top five defense that year. Can they make the same leap? I don't know. They don't need to be top five. They just need to be top 20. And I think Knowles can do that. And if they go top five, they're going to give Bama a run in the national title. And I think that's what's going to be the national title. So I think that's huge. I think the what – we're going to watch see how important the coordinators were at Clemson. I'll give you a really underrated one, Tulane. Svoboda, who comes in from, I forget the school, it's where uh, Fritz was. Central Missouri. I love this guy. And I, I went back, I was looking at some of the things that Central Missouri was doing, and I think that he can protect Pratt. I, they bring a lot of explosiveness. I think they averaged 10, 10 and a half yards per attempt last year. Burrow and LSU were, that's like Burrow and LSU level. 
I love some of the things that I think that they're going to be able to do. He's going to be able to do with a very experienced two-lane roster. And these two guys are very familiar with each other. I don't think there's going to be any continuity issues. Love, I think Tulane gets a bump for that coordinator hire. Way off the beat, you know, off the radar. But I think uh, I think that's going to do some good for the Tulane offense. Uh, Colin, I'll start with you. Yeah, the Knowles hire is the reason I lined up and was able to throw money down 12 months before the national championship was played. Uh, he resolves a big long-term issue that Ohio State's had on defense. I think I'm going to play a little game of uh, hot and cold with some of these coordinators because some of these are bad hires and some of these are great hires. A bad hire, Colorado went out and got Mike Sanford Jr. as an offensive coordinator from his days of Notre Dame. You name any place that he's been, he has made the offense worse. Uh, Carl Durrell, Colorado, has beaten oddmakers. I think that's going to come to an end with Mike Sanford Jr. Uh, as the offensive coordinator. The best defensive coordinator in the nation that's not being talked about but will be talked about is Joseph Gillespie. He was at Tulsa. He was the reason Zayvon Collins became a household yep. name. And Sonny Dykes told Brett and I face-to-face, the reason I went out and plucked this guy is because I was at SMU and I could not stand going up against him. He's the number one guy I called. That's the only guy that I wanted. And he's the best defensive coordinator in the nation. Great call. I have them. My underrated was Tulane, and my biggest loss that I'd circled was Tulsa. Um, and I'm most likely on Tulane win total over Tulsa under. Hopefully, Tulane can make a field goal, a 20 yard field goal this year, and beat Tulsa. God, that game was horrendous. Uh, but I completely agree with you. Huge loss for Tulsa. Let's get to a name that's going to make you more cringeworthy, maybe make you fall out of your chair. Indiana has hired Walt Bell as their offensive coordinator from UMass. Your boy. Your boy. Connor. <laughs> your boy more than mine Connor Bazelak transfers from Missouri goes to Indiana to compete for the quarterback position in conjunction with Walt Bell calling the plays I don't think that's a combination that that's that is going to work so uh look out there Colin Klein is the new offensive coordinator Optimus Klein if everybody remembers him from Kansas State uh he is now going to be calling plays for Coach K there uh and I I believe in Deuce Vaughn I believe if Colin Klein can teach Adrian Martinez, not to fumble the ball, make him run less, make him throw less, run more 21, get more running backs in there, get a fullback in there. I think Kansas State can be deadly. I think Colin Klein is good enough to do that. And then I'll end on a, on a good uh, coordinator on, on one of the lower programs outside the top 30. Kirk Soraka coming back to Minnesota is a really big deal. Tanner Morgan was there when he was there. It was before. awesome when he was calling their plays. Yeah, there's, there's that quick, the, quick slant passing yeah. attack. I think he's going to do well in that. Good things are coming from Minnesota offensively. I'm also curious to see what happens with Pitt. I always said, now look, it worked last year that Whipple and Narduzzi is the worst possible fit ever. But I mean, look, it worked out Addison and, and uh, Kenny Pickett and their year they had last year. But obviously, it didn't. He's gone now. They lost their passing game coordinator um, who went to Texas. They brought in Frank Signetti as the offensive coordinator. And Narduzzi came out and he was like, we never ran the ball. That's what Narduzzi wants to do ultimately, right? Narduzzi just wants to run the ball 30 times. He was probably going crazy on the sidelines with Whipple calling plays. I'm curious to see what direction Pitt goes in from an offensive standpoint, because it sounds like Narduzzi is itching to run the ball much more. Uh, Any thoughts there, Brett? Well, Stucky, look, you know, Collins quickly turning into a crack ace reporter here. So, he has all of the scoop on Pittsburgh and Nebraska and what to expect from their offenses. 
So I'll just sit back. Yeah, I think I saw Pitt, uh, Pitt Future coming on the action app today. To oh, yeah. Listen, Coach Narduzzi was nice enough to give us a little one-on-one time, and uh, we had a nice conversation about Mark Whipple. And let's just say the feelings are mutual. So Frank Signetti coming in as the new offensive coordinator at Pitt. Exactly. So I was right about that, right? It was kind of like oil and water, right? <laughs> yeah. right. Score one for Stuck because it was uh, it was an interesting conversation. But let's just say that Frank Signetti coming in, slowing down that Pitt offense, handing the ball off, that's exactly what Narduzzi wants. Kind of fits what they're doing on the defense. Uh, and I think it's going to have a lot of success in the ACC. But Mark Whipple goes over to Nebraska. Now, hey, it's Tuesday we're recording on July 26th. I just talked to Scott Frost early this morning. Scott Frost seems disgruntled. He seems like a neutered dog. Uh, he will have no hand in the offense. It's all up to whips is what he said this morning, his exact quote. Uh, whips will be making the game plan. Whips will be in charge of the offense. During game day, I will have a little bit of say about what's going on, but really it's all whips and I'm going to pivot over to do some defense and do some special teams, which is quite interesting because I don't know if Scott Frost has ever looked at Eric Shenander's defense and had input on it. I don't think anyone on the Nebraska staff has ever looked at special teams, so maybe that'll help. (laughs) Right, exactly. He didn't want to talk about it. Uh, Trevor Alberts, the athletic director at Nebraska, has essentially neutered him. His job now is to not be buddy-buddy with the players, but to act more like a CEO and be a parent and get them in line. Uh, So we'll see if that has a positive effect. But Mark Whipple, Stuck, we know this from UMass, from Pitt. That guy's been slinging offense for years. So, uh, you know, C.C. Thompson is the the ultimate highest ceiling, lowest floor kind of quarterback. So I have no clue what we're going to get in Lincoln my money says hopefully we get a little bit of high ceiling in that division. So that, you know, that's definitely one that I would keep my eyes on. I think the last one that I want to mention from a coordinator perspective that I do not like, it is not a fit. And I don't understand why it happened. Mike Elko leaves Jimbo Fisher, at Texas A&M. He goes out, he's the head coach at Duke and Jimbo Fisher hires DJ Durkin. And the very first thing in the presser was DJ Durkin will continue our run as a four, two, five defense. Go do a little bit of research on DJ Durkin. Never called a 425 in his entire life. Has never called that personnel. Doesn't know the blitz schemes. Doesn't know how to hide his nickel back. Uh, I think there's going to be a massive drop off from the effectiveness of the Texas A&M defense. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. I think that's not talked about enough. Also, don't really buy any of the quarterbacks there. Um, do you want to go, Brad? Do you have any assistants you want to mention? They're not coordinators, but I can tell you when I tweet different assistant hires, I usually don't get a lot of responses on Twitter. I got the most responses by the hiring of a analyst that I've ever gotten. And I think most of the responses were from Colin, actually. That was USF hiring former Arkansas coach Chad Morris as an offensive analyst. So we'll see how Jeff Scott does with that. Hopefully there's no Power 5 teams on the South Florida schedule. Chad Morris yet to win a game against a Power 5 team. By the way, FIU FIU hasn't won a game against an FBS team since they beat Miami in 2019. I still think that's crazy. I got to bring up the special teams. We haven't really talked about special teams. Ball State finished in the top 10 last year in special teams. Really disappointing year. But their special teams were awesome. I think I they were – if you look at, like, some of the rankings, they were top 10, top 20. Some of the advanced metrics overall. They had a first-team All-Mac punter, a ridiculous returner at Hall, um, and their kickers were, were decent. They were good across the board. They lose their first-team Mac punter. I think they bring in like a kid from NAIA, a true freshman 
They're going to be a new kicker, new punter. They lose Hall, and they lose their seven-year special teams coordinator who took them from, like, back, bottom of the barrel where, like, most of the MAC teams are, like Western Michigan. is a, Western Michigan makes Nebraska's special teams look like the Patriots. Like, a lot of the MAC teams have really bad special teams. I think Ball State could go from, like, top 10 to bottom 10. They lose all their, all their key players, and their seven-year special teams coordinator is gone. So, uh, and that can matter in the MAC where these games are just determined by missed field goals and shenanigans uh, across the board. We'll figure out if Kent State has learned how to uh, have someone else doing kickoffs because that burned them all, all last year. Um, West Virginia, too, by the way. All right, Colin, anything else you want to add on uh, coaching? Don't gamble, don't associate with gamblers, avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Harbaugh made it very clear. Do not expect anything different from Michigan on offense from what they ran last year. That had nothing to do with Josh Gaddis. Uh, but with Ronnie Bell being healthy, might get a little Cade McNamara throwing the ball around a little bit more than they were last year. But I am not a believer that Michigan can go to the college ball playoff and beat Ohio State, but I am a believer they can eclipse nine and a half wins. Some love for Bodog Jim. Let's talk some impact transfers. Transfer portal, obviously a major storyline these days in both college football and college basketball. You can mention, Con, I don't know, Brett, feel free to chime in here. If you can mention teams, players, the obvious winners were your power players, right? Like Alabama, Texas, USC, Ole Miss. I mean, I swear USC and Ole Miss have nothing but transfers starting um, if you look at their rosters. Losers, Arizona State. Uh, just lost a ton of talent programs in mess. Georgia Tech lost some key players. Nevada basically lost their whole team Nevada. to the NFL or the transfer in Nevada, Nevada. Um, Hawaii, a messy situation that uh, they're counting on Chang to hopefully clean up after uh, Todd Graham spilled milk everywhere uh, over on the island. Um, Wyoming, major departures there. West Virginia, I mentioned Colorado. Not the best situations um, from a transfer transfer perspective. Uh, some, you know, under the radar winners. Akron, I think, brought in more. brought in some good transfers. I think, and again, it's the MAC. Like you can have big turnarounds year to year. So I'm not sure if Akron, it's you're you're going to see it translate on the wins. But Akron's going from like average margin of deficit. We've gone from like 28 to 26 to 24 to last year like 20. Um, so they're getting more competitive. Look, Arth just built that team with like they, one year, a couple years ago, they had nothing but freshmen. Like their whole team was freshmen. And so they have a little more experience now, but I think they brought in some transfers that can really help this year. Marshall. I love some of the transfers that Marshall brought in. Um, so it's, it's really hard to determine how some transfers are going to fit in. Um, but uh, those are some of the teams, you know, you have your obvious players, you know, Bama, some of the guys in Texas, USC, Ole Miss. But I think Akron and Marshall will benefit from the transfers they brought in this year. Uh, Colin, anything you want to uh, mention from a, a transfer perspective? Yeah, I think a couple of positive ones we should talk about is Jameer Gibbs at Alabama is probably going to be the best transfer running back that was out there, if not the reason that they make the national championship game. Brian Robinson, it was finally his turn last year as a senior, fifth-year senior, but he is a big hulking back and Bryce Young had someone standing next to him that maybe isn't as nimble as what they wanted for that offense. So the, you know, the dump off passes, maybe didn't get as many yards and maybe the, you know, whatever 
Jameer Gibbs is the real deal. I mean, I we're talking about a guy that's going to create probably 15 to 20 missed tackles per game. Uh, I mean, it's just unbelievable if you watch him on film, what he did at Georgia Tech, when basically the entire defense was behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, Jameer Gibbs made something out of nothing. Now he gets the entire Alabama offensive line in front of him. Uh, so definitely something to be watching out for. We can't talk about this section of the podcast without talking about Cameron Ward from Incarnate Word going to Washington State. He gets his offensive coordinator shades of Western Kentucky last year with Bailey Zappi and, and Zach Kitley going on here. Bailey Zappi. Washington State is going to be massively improved on the offensive side of the ball, a team that nobody is talking about. And I don't think that we can properly handicap uh, because we don't know how good Cameron Ward is. And then the last one I'll talk about is Michael Penning Jr. has transferred into Washington. He, he has gone from Indiana. He is at Washington. He is in a quarterback battle there. We know the Heward kid, the five-star, that the, the fans are wanting to be in there so bad. But it adds stability to a quarterback group and an offense that has struggled for a couple of years now. The Jimmy Lake regime was just god-awful. Uh, so we'll see what's going to happen with Kalen DeBoer up there. Doesn't get. Uh, his boy Hayner to come from Fresno State. He stays in Fresno State. Michael Penix Jr. comes in for a reason. Uh, I think that's going to be a positive impact up there on a Washington offense. They got 85% returning in TARP. By the way, uh, you can. I, I said Tulane, and I love the offense coordinator hire, and they're going to be explosive this year. So you can hold me to that. San Diego State with uh, your boy still running the show, and now Burmeister <laughs> under center. Yep. Are we going to see an explosive offense in San Diego State overs this year? And electric. Electric and vertical. Aztec overs. And explosive. Colin and coach speak. We're back uh, once again. Uh, Brett, any tra- any transfers you think are going to work out or anything you want to add here? I think one that will have the biggest impact, either, either positive or negatively, will be Casey Thompson at Nebraska. I mean, Trev Alberts has basically said this is a must-win season for Scott Frost. We don't know if that means a bowl game, if that means eight wins, certainly a losing season and Frost is gone. So Casey Thompson has to be an improvement over Martinez. I talked to a couple of the Nebraska players today. They talked about what impresses them most about Thompson is his versatility. We'll see how that transcends to uh, Ireland when they open with Northwestern. But other than them, I think somebody that's kind of under the radar, kind of forgotten about is uh, Take Me Home, Country Roads. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountain. We've got JT Daniels of West Virginia. Uh, he'll be working with Graham Harrell as the, as the offensive coordinator. Neil Brown told me it's the first time in his career uh, as a head coach that he's never called the offensive play. So it'll be an adjustment for him. West Virginia, along with Colorado, the only two Power 5 teams that face 11 Power 5 opponents. So it's not going to be easy for them, but uh, if JT has a solid year, I think the Mountaineers can uh, get back to bowl game this year. I'm surprised you're including uh, Kansas as a uh, Power 5 team on West Virginia's schedule, by the way. By the way, Brad, I didn't get your thoughts on very relevant to the two teams here. We talked about the potential enormous impact that just adding structure and organization Knowles can potentially provide to an Ohio State defense that was severely lacking in both departments under Kerry Coombs. Do you agree being, you know, you, you're very familiar with Knowles. And then do you think on the other side of the coin, it's going to be a, a big loss for the Oklahoma State defense? 
I think Knowles is a is probably the biggest assistant addition in college football. I think he will provide immediate impact for Ohio State. I, what's the line for Ohio State Notre Dame? Fourteen. It just it went up today. Sixteen. I think it went up a point or two. Okay. Um, is, that, is that the first half? Ohio State will dominate Notre Dame. Um, Knowles has that experience. What he did at Oklahoma State was nothing short of amazing. I think that'll carry over to Ohio State, where arguably he has better athletes. But actually, I don't think it's um, – it will be a loss, obviously, for Oklahoma State. But from what Mike Gundy said, Derek Mason's coming in, the former Vanderbilt coach. They're using the same terminology that Knowles did. They're going to use the same defense, wh whether they can execute it the same with a different guy – providing the message we'll have to find out um you know i don't think we're going to see a big drop by oklahoma state but i think it's going to be substantial enough that i'm not sure if oklahoma state can get back to the big 12 title game but for ohio state i think this is the missing piece for them they don't have to throw shutouts they they hold them to 24 points they're going to win every game because ohio state's going to score 28 or more every game i think Knowles will have the biggest impact of any assistant new hire for uh, the 22 season. Yeah. If you look at Ohio State's defensive numbers, like I said, adjusted for schedule, they finish around 45th, 50th, which is really bad given the talent they have. But it's their, their, their talent and their athleticism can dominate inferior opponents. If you look last year when they played really good opponents, that's where it showed their lack of discipline organization. Go look at the Oregon game. Couldn't adjust to the same play over and over again. They ran for a million yards. Look at Michigan ran for a million yards against Ohio State. When they played their good opponents the past two years, I go back to the college football play when they gave up, whatever, 55 to Alabama. That's where the just the, the need of that defensive coordinator really shows. So their numbers against the really good competition were way worse. Uh, and I think the most alarming thing, uh, and I think where knows will have the biggest impact. Um, all right, good stuff there. Let's talk some experience. Kyle, maybe you could summarize – the most experienced and least experienced teams. Uh, I'll, I'll mention some of the ones that I have here. I take kind of like, I have my own rankings system that I do for it and takes into account coaches and everything. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of overlap, but the most experienced teams, Arkansas State, BYU and USF, I've won two. Interesting enough, they play week one in the humidity of Tampa. Could be a factor. Uh, just keep that in mind. And by the way, I think in the humidity of factor, when it was like 95 degrees, 90% humidity in 2019, Early in the season, USF upset BYU. And Jaron Hall's first start, uh, I think that came in like October or something. Those two teams, I think BYU's a 12-point favorite. Tricky spot for a very experienced BYU team uh, in that Tampa humidity uh, early in the season. Bowling Green, you know, a couple of years ago, they had all, all freshmen and, and sophomores, I had them up there. NC State, Mississippi State, as my, you know, some teams to mention is the most experienced, the least. be really interesting to see what McCall can do at Coastal Carolina because that roster – is decimated. Nevada, we mentioned. Wyoming, we mentioned. FIU, uh, the roster is hilarious. Uh, Iowa State, uh, just crushed by departures. And they had all those seniors that underperformed last year. The Texas A&M um, lost. I, I, I think they're bottom 10 in both tackles lost and uh, yards lost from last year. So those are some of the teams worth mentioning. Anything you want to add or do you want to summarize the top five? Yeah. Top five tarp? Yeah, I think a lot of people have questions about TARP, and it's not about returning starters. It's not how not about how many heads that you have at certain positions. On offense, it's how much do you return of your passing 
receiving yards, rushing yards, and how many offensive line snaps are you bringing back? And then on defense, it's not about how many heads you have come back because everybody goes too deep. So it's about what's your percentage of tackles, passes, defense, your pressure, and your top. So that's what TARP is based on because, you know, you could go too deep, but that means that, you know, half those guys not even starters. So I think looking at starters is a, a prehistoric dinosaur way of looking at this. That said, who are the teams that are really struggling? Well, worst teams in TARP this season, Iowa State. Iowa State by far losing, you know, generational talent that they've never had in Ames whatsoever. They pulled up one of the worst rankings out there. Western Michigan pulled one of the worst power rating bumps going straight down. Hawaii, of course, we've already talked about them. Nevada is going to have non-scholarship players in the 2D this season. It's walk-ons in the 2D, yeah. I think. Look at out there, their windows at five, so go smash the under. Uh, UTSA, I hate it. I hate it. Meep, meep. I hate it. I hate to bag on me, but they almost got the worst rating, but it's low. It's still, they took a minus 10 in their power rating bump uh, going down for what they have coming back. Buffalo is another team that took a massive, uh, a massive loss. And New Mexico, who I believe is going to field under Danny Gonzalez, their third different type of offense in three seasons that he has been there. Some good news for some of the teams. Bowling Green, you already mentioned New Mexico, staff. worst offense in the country, by the way. Defense, <laughs> bad, they, that staff can coach defense. They got some good safeties there. Their defense, once again, will be decent, even though they're on the field the entire game. Um, but yeah, they're they're changing the option attack there, and uh, with a Kansas quarterback, uh, that's not good. Again, uh, it's gonna be a great TV. Uh, so some of the best teams from Tarp, South Florida. Is South Florida gonna be on the rebound here? Uh, I know Florida State and NC State are teams that we will talk about later. They bring in back a heavy amount. TCU got the highest rank when it comes to transfer portal and returning production. When you combine those together, Southern Miss almost got the highest ranking. Uh, listen. They returned everything on that team. And I know that team was an abomination. They had two interim coaches in one season. But Southern Miss – Four quarterbacks and ran the Wildcat. I think you and I have mentioned Bowling Green. I'd love to hold on to that until till your MAC preview comes out. That's a, a big one that I think no one's talking about. Northern Illinois, uh, they almost got the top spot in TARP. They're going to return everything off of Thomas Hammock's team, both Fuck sides of the team. ball. As much as Stucky and I hate them, and as much as they've cost us a lot of money – Everybody's going to come back. And then a small little shout out to Mississippi State, Georgia State, and Troy, who return a very healthy amount of tarp on both sides of the ball. Yeah. You mentioned, by the way, you mentioned uh, good call outs there. You mentioned depth. I like the, when I look at depth, depth will push me to, if I'm close, uh, on a win total. So if a team doesn't have depth and I like, and I sort of like the over, I might pass. Um, and you know, it's, so it's, it's, if I'm really close edge wise, that might push me one way or the other. So like, because injuries by the end of the year, if you don't have a lot of depth or if you have like no backup quarterback, one injury, if I don't really love the win total, I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to stay away. An example, Miami of Ohio, Gabbard has had injury issues. They have no backup quarterback. My Meyer transferred their backups have one career pass attempts. They're all like freshmen. So if he gets hurt, you know, Meyer could come in. And he was very serviceable as a backup. Then Miami, Ohio is screwed. And they have some depth issues elsewhere. Um, they also might start four underclassmen in the secondary. But we'll get to that, the MAC preview. But that's something. And then if the team has strong depth or like strong depth, especially a quarterback, then and I like the over, then that might push me if I'm kind of close. So that's where I look at depth. But I agree with you on how to look at TAR. All right, good stuff there. Before we get out of here, I did say media days, you guys have been – to a few, you have Pac-12 coming up. I'll give you like just two minutes each. Do you want to 
mention a highlight or two or something. It could just be something you found entertaining or takeaway or an interesting story. Anything you want to mention, Colin? Uh, I think Kansas State was my big focus of Big 12. That team seems more determined than anything. I had Deuce Vaughn physically show me how he holds the ball on why he's only fumbled once and 300-plus snaps. Uh, and then he went on to tell me about how Southern Illinois is the team that stripped him of his only fumble in his career. Uh, he showed me how he holds the ball. I immediately turned – and this is just on the field walking around. I turned around and looked at Adrian Martinez and said, Adrian, are you taking notes? And he said, absolutely. So I uh, was wow. very keen on, the, on getting Adrian Martinez to play ball protection uh, with Deuce Vaughn. So that was a big takeaway there for me. Uh, from SEC Media Days – it's made for TV. You don't really get to get up in the coach's spaces. You don't really get to get up and do anything with them. But it's hard not to see, you know, how Alabama is conducting their business and not think that they're not going to take over. There's a couple of coaches that got up there that just talk so long. I think it's so that they don't get fired. Eli Drinkowitz, uh, Clark Lee. We know that in time, Vanderbilt football will be the best program in the country. Some of the coaches up there just, you know, absolutely provided no value to to what Media Days is all about. And then, you know, from an ACC perspective, my conversations with Narduzzi was one of the reasons that I went in and put a bet on them to win their division. Uh, I was already sold on NC State. Uh, Dave Doran told me multiple times about how that bowl game being canceled out in Petco, you know, against UCLA has been a huge motivating factor for them this season. They're not scared of Clemson. They Could have been their 10th win. Haven't won 10 games since Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers 20 years ago. Things going on with the women's basketball team. Things going on with their college baseball. baseball. Yeah, baseball getting kicked out of Omaha, being the 65th team in last year. This team is pissed. Just ECU money line. <laughs> proved to be more. And then here at the Big Ten Media Days today, I think Harbaugh was good at, you know, showing that the systems that are ran at Michigan are his. The defense that's ran, it's really his. I mean, he has his hands in everything and, and what he wants. Scott Frost, on the other hand, uh, like I said, he is, uh, he's been a, he's a neutered animal and he is not in control of what's happening in Lincoln right now. Uh, Trev Alberts has, you know, essentially taken it out of his hands. It's up to the coordinators. It's up to Mark Whipple. It's up to Eric Shenander's defensive coordinator. And maybe they're going to play some special teams, but, uh, you know, those are, you know, those are some of the takeaways I have. I think Brett really has a different look. I, a lot of people go there to interview some of the players, interview the coaches. I'm looking at body language. I'm looking at, or do I think you're bluffing me? Do I think you're lying to me about how you feel? Every coach says the same thing. You know, I feel good about this team. I feel good about this players. But when Sark at Big 12 Media Days tells me that he's divulging his personal life to his players so that they can come together, have more communication, trust each other so this defense actually talks to each other, I believe that. So those are my takeaways from uh, some of the media days that we've been to. Yeah, we'll have a lot more input from those when we do our Power 5, when Colin and I do our Power 5 previews. Um, as we've mentioned before, we have the group of five guys who are going to do each conference, each group of five conference preview. Colin, myself, or Brett will be on for those. Then we'll have our Power 5 previews, and then we'll have a recap episode. Then all of a sudden, Week 0 will be here. Brett, any key takeaways you want to mention we're, you're going to be on the Big 12 episode when we do that, so you can save any Big 12 nuggets for that day. But anything you want to mention in regards to any of the others that you've been to? No, just, um, you know, Pat Narduzzi is always great. Uh, seeing his uh, embroidered shirts with his autograph on it, I asked him where he got that. He goes, you got to go see the suit, man. 
talking to him off the record about Jordan Addison, which was off the record, but very uh, insightful and entertaining. Also, Pat Fitzgerald here at Big Ten Media Days. He's all, he's one of my favorite coaches, uh, just an incredible guy. He has a very optimistic outlook for the Wildcats this year. They have one of the best offensive linemen in the country. And, I, and being able to talk to, to all the commissioners, you know, to get some insight. This is a, a very weird time right now for college athletics. And I asked each commissioner, can you really trust anybody? Without saying no, they basically said no. So that's something I took away. Probably the, probably the biggest memory for me for media days so far is the fact that I actually went from, from gate A11 to gate B2 in the Atlanta airport in less than 14 minutes to catch my connection to make it to Big Ten Media Days. I think I set a world land speed record. It was not wind aided. I did not pull a hamstring. So that was one of my highlights so far. I had to do that in Denver. I was sprinting at six in the morning after we were out when we were there until four in the morning. I left that Saturday morning at six in the morning. It was horrendous. Did any either of you get to ask Dabo about uh, why he's still coaching because players are getting paid? No. If you're listening, Davo, I would like to know the answer to that. Brett, did you ask Pat Fitzgerald? I'll make some adjustments here in Northwestern. How they're actually going to score points? He's optimistic there. No, I didn't. But Pat, Pat Fitzgerald did come out and say, "Listen, the years we went in nine, we had no experience. The years that we were good, we had experienced players." Pat Fitzgerald thinks it's as easy as how much do I have coming back? And they always overperform. You got to give. Uh, Fitzgerald credit there. And whenever they have uh, a bad year, they tend to bounce back out of no, uh, after losing years, almost every time under Fitzgerald. But uh, Jim O'Neill, defensive coordinator, what a disastrous first year. So we'll see what they can do on that side of the ball too this year. If they have concerns on both sides of the ball, we'll, we'll be able to see that in Dublin to start off the year against Nebraska. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks everyone for joining us. It was nice to shake some of the rust off, talk some college football. We got to go get back to work. These guys got to go back to media days collect some more intel we got to get ready for our future episodes but thanks as always to colin and brett for joining me thanks to our producer matt mitchell and everyone behind the scenes here at action network it helps get these podcasts out as always subscribe unsubscribe subscribe leave a review really helps us out leave a five-star review make fun of mcmurphy for saying uh stenson bennett is going to win the heisman any five-star review we'll do giveaways appreciate all of your support we'll be back with all of our conference previews next starting this week catch y'all later cheers He's out.